Good work, good work. Crossing family, I love you. It is so good to be with you today. I want to welcome all of our different locations, those of you watching online, those of you who are part of the Crossing Inside. I want to do a special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. I want to encourage you to take advantage of the QR code on the seat in front of you, and it'll give you access and opportunities for you to take next steps, learn more about our church, or uh, get connected. One of the things that we're going to be pushing across all of our different locations as we're in the Christmas season is our Christmas Eve services, and we have a bunch. In fact, I was doing some math, and I'm not much of a mathematician, but we are going to have more Christmas Eve services this year than I had people in the first church I pastored, which is a little crazy. Yeah, uh, which, you know, uh, God bless them. And... uh, What I want to encourage you to do is I want you to know this up front. These are going to be great services for you to invite some friends and some family to. We're going to start our services on that Thursday, and then we're going to have them on Friday, and then we're going to have them again on Saturday, and then on Sunday, uh, we're going to give you an incredible opportunity to worship Jesus in your house with your family. And you might be going, but Clayton, we want to come to church. Listen, you can. You can come here, and you can hang out in the parking lot. You can grill something. You can pick up trash, you can pick up, uh, you can pull weeds. Um, At all of our Christmas Eve services, we are going to give you something for you to leverage in your home for our Christmas service on Sunday, which we're going to broadcast. You're going to be able to have access to that at your house around your timetable, and you'll have stuff for communion so that way you can still celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to give you all those opportunities. We've already... uh, uh, partnered with another church on this thing. It's incredible. I can't wait for you guys to experience it. If, uh, if you're wired like me, you're going to eat it up because there's a special like 30-minute gift at the end, <clears throat> which is super cool. But uh, for those services on Thursday, uh, almost I think almost every, lo- yeah, almost every location is doing a Thursday, then a Friday, then a Saturday. It's going to be uh, a great service, and I cannot wait for you guys to be able to participate in that. I believe you'll be encouraged, and I believe you'll be blessed. Well, last week we started this sermon series called The Gift I Need, and I made mention of uh, my level of frustration and disappointment uh, with you, Um, because as we were going through the survey questions, I just realized how raw of sinners you really are, and um, I have more data. Um, We asked this question, uh, how many of you prefer homemade uh, presents, and how many of you prefer store-bought presents. 52% of you said homemade. Now look, look at the people you came with. Are they that artsy? They're that crafty? <laughs> what you, all right, whatever. The rest of the smart ones are like, just send it to me from Amazon and give me a receipt, okay? Now here, here's, here's, here's the next one. We asked this question. If you had a choice, no present or a bad present, 65% of you said no present. Just don't even get me anything. If it's bad, I don't even, I don't want to, I don't want the hassle of having your bad gift in my presence. And I was going to hit you hard for it. I was going to preach a hard message to you. But then I went through and I looked at some of the bad gifts you guys have received. 
and I got to be honest with you, I get it now. Because there are, you have bad people in your life. Okay, can I, can, can I take a couple minutes and just walk you through some of the bad gifts you've received? Here's one, a half set of tools. Dad cut the plastic in half and gave one half to one brother and the other half to him. <laughs> it's just, okay. Uh, someone got a rock. Someone got soap. How? We didn't know how to tell you that you stunk, so... Uh, we got some soap, wrapped it up in a present for you, and that way when you open it up, you'll feel really insecure. Uh, a half-eaten box of chocolate was one of the gifts. Okay. Back shaver. And I don't, I don't remember what her name was when she turned it in, but I mean, that would be a, that's a brutal gift to get. Uh, here's like the ultimate prank. Uh, here's one. Uh, how, how do they say it? Uh, home decor that isn't their style, but they feel obligated to keep it uh, to keep it up, which I think as like in-laws, like this is the ultimate power play. Start buying stuff that you know that they don't like, that they feel obligated to hang on their walls. Like, yeah, who's in charge now? Okay. Uh, one of the notes said this: When I got nothing from my first husband, that's a baller statement right there, because she's acknowledging she she used to be married to that guy. She's like, yeah, but I traded him out. I was like, you got to go. You didn't get me anything for, for Christmas, and I got myself a second husband. Um, that's what I got. I got myself a gift. Uh, fellas, just quick, I saw a lot of ladies saying that they got vacuums and workout equipment. And guys, I'm just going to tell you something. Uh, they can buy that stuff for themselves with the Christmas money. But you cannot buy, you know, I saw that mop, and I was thinking of you, sweetie. And I was like, I should get her a nicer one. No. Okay, now here are my top five. And these are, this is us. This is who we are. Ready? Uh, number five is a shoplifted football jersey that was too big and not from a team that I liked. <laughs> ah, thanks, Dad. Uh, number four, a maple syrup subscription. How big into pancakes do you have to be? Where someone's like, yeah, we're going to put this guy on a plan, okay? We got to, all right. Uh, number three, this is probably from our Iowa location. Uh, underwear from my boyfriend's mom. <laughs> I, I, how did that? So what do you, what do you think I should get your, uh, your girlfriend for Christmas? Some underwear. All right. I don't. I don't know. She, I think she hopes she likes it. How do you even? Okay, now, uh, the n number two and number one have pictures. Um, here's what it is. Uh, this is for a lot of you Harry Potter fans. Uh, this is what she writes. As a Harry Potter fan, I loved Dobby. My husband ordered me a life-size Dobby statue for my classroom. He got a great deal on it for a reason. When the package showed up, it was an ugly plastic version that was about the size of my hand. We laughed pretty hard, but then when we went to return it, the website that we bought it from no longer existed. <laughs> okay? Here's what he uh, thought he was getting her, and this is what, uh, yeah. But the best one ever. Turn to your neighbor say, owl mittens. Yeah, that's right. You didn't think you were going to say that today at church. Okay, nobody filled that one out on their bingo card. This is what it reads. I'm a teacher and have recess duty in the cold. 
needing a pair of new warm gloves, my husband thought he was buying me a really cute pair of owl mittens. <laughs> I love it. Um, but what he got what was, not, was not what was pictured on the website. The gift that came was a pair of wool mittens with two large plush owl keychains. Thankfully, it came with giant safety pins to attach the owls to the gloves. This is what he thought he was buying, and this is what he actually got. <laughs> now I understand why some of you are like, just don't get me anything. Please, just, I don't want that pain. Okay. Did you know, I mentioned this last week, did you know that God is a good gift giver? The Bible goes out of its way to describe to us that God gives good gifts. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 800 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet talks about the kind of gift that we would eventually receive from God, which is his son, Jesus Christ. We find some of these words in Isaiah chapter 9. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's battle, or, or every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Last week we talked about Jesus being a wonderful counselor and a mighty God. And in case you missed it and you want to catch up, you can always uh, catch up on our sermons by going to thecrossing.net slash watch or you can go to YouTube and search One Crossing and it will get you there. But today I want to talk to you about what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. Uh, the ancient word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom. Turn to your neighbor and say shalom. Shalom. Yeah, now you, now you sound smarter. Uh, shalom, peace, can be broken down into three categories. External, internal, and spiritual. External. This is uh, shalom externally would be the absence of war. It would be uh, relational in nature. Question. In your marriage... Is there shalom, the absence of war? Would you say your home life is shalom, or are your kids driving you crazy? Are you at shalom in your workplace? Are you in an, the absence of war? That's external. Internal is uh, your well-being. Internally, personally, are you at shalom? Are you at peace? Do you have security, health, freedom from care? Uh, are you content? Those are all signs that you have shalom. You have an inner peace about you. 
It includes everything given by God in all areas of your life. Everything that makes for your highest good. It was Joseph when he was in Egypt and his brothers came to visit him that he required about his dad all the way back, uh, who was not in Egypt at the time, and this is what he says, is it shalom with our aged father? Is our dad at peace? Is he in a good place internally? And then finally, it's spiritual. Is your soul at shalom? Is your soul, is your soul at peace? Are you walking in the green pastures and sipping from the still waters of God? There is a universal desire for people to experience shalom. That is why it is the go-to answer at beauty pageants. If you could just get one thing, what would you wish for? World shalom. It's why it's the promise of politicians. If you notice, when a politician campaigns, he's going to talk about external peace, our interactions with other countries, with other parties, and then he's going to talk about how it's going to make you content. Because everybody, everybody wants shalom. There was this song written by Ed McCurdy, and I, I didn't know him either, but um, this song has been covered by Simon and Garfunkel and Johnny Cash. See, those of you over 50, I remember you come here. And uh, this is the song that he, uh, the, the title of the song. Last night I had the strangest dream. Can I read you the lyrics? Last night I had the strangest dream I never dreamed before. I dreamed the world had all agreed to put an end to war. I dreamed I saw a mighty room. The room was filled with men, and the papers they were signing said they'd never fight again. And when the papers were all signed and a million copies made, they all joined hands and bowed their heads, and grateful prayers were made. And the people in the streets below, they all danced round and round, and guns and swords and uniforms were scattered on the ground. When I awoke, twas but a dream, and peace, a dirty word. I tried to tell them of my dream, but not a word they heard. And, when, or, and then I got me fighting mad and knew just what I'd do. I'd fight nonviolently for peace until my dream came true. Isaiah gets at the heart of this. This shalom, this desire for peace. Those of you, uh, last week, you may remember that I made a big deal about Gideon and uh, the Israelites defeating the Midianites. And Isaiah says, when the Messiah shows up, when the gift shows up, it will feel like right after Midian's defeat, where the 300 defeated an army too numerous to count. This is what he says, Isaiah 9, 4, and 5. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Then look at the description he uses. It sounds a lot like that song from Ed. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. There will be no more need for these things. There's no longer going to be a need for soldiers, 
There's no more blood-soaked garments. There's no flag-covered caskets. Now, we know as Christians that this will all happen upon the return of Christ when all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ will be uh, ushered into his heavenly presence. We know that eventually we will all experience an eternal shalom, an eternal peace. But the question that you want answered and the question that I want answered is, is there any peace for today? Is there any peace for me from now until that time? And the good news is, the answer is yes. Let's begin spiritually. Is there peace for you and I today spiritually? Can we have shalom? The answer to that question is yes. And the reason you and I can have peace spiritually is because we are justified by faith, not by our own uh, actions or our own goodness. Imagine, if you and I were trying to have a right relationship with God based on our abilities, how stressed to the max would you be? Are any of you good enough to please a holy and perfect God? Can you do enough good things? Can you give enough money away to right your relationship with God? Because deep down inside, you know how bad you've been. And I know how bad I've been. That's why... We find this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, you've heard Jerry talk about this before. What does justified mean? It means just as if I had never sinned, making everything right. Therefore, since we have been justified, everything has been made right. How was this made right? Through faith. We have shalom. Actually, it's Irene. Uh, this is in the Greek now, but shalom. With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Let's stay here for just a second. Here's what he's doing. He's moving you and I into a new neighborhood. This is what he's saying. In the, uh, in the grace in which we now stand. So you and I stand in a place of grace. Well, how did we get there? We got there through faith. Through faith in what? Through faith in what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. He justified us and made peace between us and God because we were at war with him. We were enemies of God because of our sin. But Jesus comes in and through his sacrifice, he justifies us. We take hold of that justification through faith. Because I believe in who he is and what he's done on my behalf, I have been made right before God. I've been justified, and this is a grace that was bestowed on me. It is not a grace I earned. It was something that was poured out on me. Let's keep going in the text. Not only so, but we also glory in our, what? Ugh, I should have stopped at verse 2. Glory in our sufferings? Hold on a second. You mean I can have peace with God, but I might still have to suffer here on earth? Yeah. What? But Clayton, if I've been made right with God, everything should be super easy. No. In fact, if you read through the scripture, you'll find people who had a whole lot of peace with God, but they suffered. Um, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Um, well, there's Jesus. 
He had, did Jesus have perfect peace with God? Yeah. Did he also suffer? Yeah. Well, one of my favorite passages in scripture, uh, Paul and Silas are in prison and they're worshiping. Well, if you're worshiping, you're probably at peace with God. But their circumstances were full of suffering. Now, come here. Keep going. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Let's keep going in the text. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's this picture. God is opening up your heart and he is dumping a hundred gallon bucket of love into your life that makes you at peace with him, which means when you have peace spiritually, you can suffer in this world and it can't be taken from you. You can have something inside of you that allows you to go through what you're going through. You can have peace in the midst of storms. This is just what God does on our behalf. And look at the company that peace keeps in scripture. Like if I were to make you list off your friends, like every time you go somewhere, you're bringing these people with you. When you go golfing, there's these guys in the golf cart. When you go to your knitting club, these are the people that show up with their own needles. Like this is your, these are your homies. Well, peace has homies. Because if you go home and you do this, go home, type it in Bible Gateway, look at all the people or all the other things that hang out with peace in Scripture. There's glory, honor, and peace. Peace's friends are glory and honor. Later on, it says this, life and peace. Peace hangs out with life. Peace and joy, grace and peace, love and peace shall be with you. Everywhere that peace goes, he shows up with friends, the kind of friends you want. Love and joy and patience and kindness. No fewer than six times in the New Testament is God called a God of peace. When God's spirit brings his harvest into your heart and into my heart, love and joy are followed by peace. And this peace is ours for the asking. Peace which replaces anxiety, peace which transcends understanding is only a prayer away. A prayer away, you say, yeah. You can have access to that peace through praying a prayer. Look what it says, Philippians chapter four. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety is the opposite of peace. There is no calm. But in every situation, how many situations is that? That's all of them. There is never a situation that you are facing that doesn't fit in this scripture. By prayer and petition, what does that mean? Clayton, I've only prayed, I've never petitioned. If I'm, if I'm doing the math problem here, if I want this piece, uh, you've only taught me how to pray, you've never taught me how to petition. Okay, uh, this is free, no charge to this. Um, here's the difference between prayer and petition. Prayer is, um, prayer is you talking <clears throat> and being a really good Christian to God. It's you saying, God, I know that if this is in your will, I would just really appreciate it if you would help me out. Petitioning is you like going to the governmental authorities and saying, I need relief, I need justice, 
I need help. It's you approaching a higher power. It's you going to God and saying, look, man, if you don't show up, I'm done. I'm coming to you because you're the only one that can get me through. But God, I'm also a prayer. (laughs) And I know that your ways are higher than my ways. And if you see fit in your heavenly powers to make this situation right, I would greatly appreciate it. But God, I gotta be honest with you. Deep down in my heart, I'm worried about everything that's coming my way. I'm scared out of my mind. I need you to deliver me. But God, if you don't, I just want you to know I'm still gonna show up at church early and I'm still gonna help out in kids' church. But God, I need you to move on my behalf. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That is prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Now, how are you going to put all three of those together? God, if it's your will, would you deliver me? God, you got to show up. And man, I'm thankful I can talk to you about this because my wife won't talk to me right now. God, I don't know what kind of work you're doing in my life. I don't know if this suffering is going to produce character. But God, I'm asking you to use it for your glory. Only you could take a messed up person like this and pull me through. God, just get me through it. But I'm telling you, if you you leave me alone here, if you don't move on my behalf, I'm ruined. In Jesus' name I pray. Okay? Now look at this. Let's keep going to verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's going to guard your heart and your mind. He's going to protect you. He's in the middle of what you're going through. He's going to remind you that you're loved by him and you are held by him. And while everybody else is looking at you and seeing the suffering that you're going through, and they're going, how do you have so much peace in the middle of the storm? You're going to say, because I have shalom, spiritually. Well, what about uh, peace internally? Well, if this mighty God, this wonderful counselor, this maker of worlds, this suffering servant, this water walking, demon casting, people healing, resurrecting Jesus is in my corner, how could I not have peace internally? How could I not be okay? My future's secure because he has it. My destiny is joyous because he purchased it. My judgment will be grace because he died for it. What can the world take away from me when I have all of that going for me? But Clayton, what about externally and relationally? Well, two things here. The first is we find peace with others because of what Jesus did on our behalf. In light of what he has forgiven in our lives, we can forgive people relationally in our own life. If you racked up a million dollar debt with God and he forgave it, when your aunt sins against you a hundred dollar sin, you can go, look, I've been forgiven a million, so I at least ought to be able to forgive a hundred. And I'm able to make peace. Because there's nobody on planet earth that I have done more harm to than God. And nobody has ever abused me more than I abused my relationship with God. 
And if God was willing to still pour out his grace into my heart and move on my behalf to make peace, I can, I can make peace with you because of what Christ did in me. The second thing is, as, as more and more people that you know and love and care about find peace with God spiritually, and that produces a peace internally, then it has no choice but to expand its domain as the world becomes more and more peaceable. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The absence of peace is trouble and fear. And he's saying because you have shalom. You don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. Now hear me. This peace cannot be taken from you. But you can give it away. No one can lay hold of the peace that God has put in your heart. But you can give it away. You can have this incredible peace in your heart. Like right now. You're all at church and you're going, man, I feel a whole lot of peace. And then you're going to go home and you're going to try and figure out where you're going to eat today for lunch. And they'll say, where do you want to go to eat? And you'll say, I don't care. And they'll be like, I don't care either, you pick. And then you'll pick. And then they'll say, not there. <laughs> and so you'll pick another one and they'll say, not there either. And you will find the peace of God leaving your soul. No. That is not the peace of God leaving your soul. That is you giving it away to a food order. Your peace cannot be taken from you. No one can lay hands on what God has placed in your heart. But you can shell it out. You can lose it to the news cycle. You can lose it to the politics. You can lose it to your social media. You can give it away but no one is taking it from you. Can you imagine a world dominated by this kind of shalom? A people group walking around that are at peace with God, peace with themselves, and at peace with others? Uh, no wonder the angels broke through the clouds and said this when they were announcing the birth of Christ, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth shalom to those on whom his favor rests. Perhaps it should come as no surprise that the very first time that God is called a God of peace takes us all the way back to the story of Gideon getting ready to fight an army too numerous to count. Gideon gets done having this discussion with God, and this is what Gideon says. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and there he called it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. Now, come here. Come here. Pay attention. Gideon calls God the God of peace before he ever fights the battle. He calls God Jehovah Shalom before an army is ever assembled. He calls him Jehovah Shalom 
before the trumpets are ever blown. He calls them before the 32,000 show up, before the 22,000 go home, before he's left with only 300, before any of that takes place, he goes, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Which means that Gideon recognized who God was before he experienced who God was. He goes, God is a God of peace before he ever experienced the peace of God. There's a Devo in here for us. You still have to do your part. You still have to walk it out. That's why in Romans chapter 5, it says we lay hold of this by faith. That the only way you and I are going to experience this peace of God is when we by faith step into it and lay hold of it. We must walk into it. We must take hold of the peace that God offers before we will ever fully experience it. And I hope you'll do that as we're moving to this time of decision. There's an old uh, churchy saying. You've probably heard it if you've you know, been here long enough or went somewhere before you came here. That you can't know the peace of God without peace with God. That you will never experience the benefits of this heavenly peace or internally or relationally and externally until you've got it figured out spiritually. It's just not going to happen. And I want you to see what God did on your behalf. It's, it's, it's hidden inside of Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. Let me read it to you. For God was pleased, so it made God happy, to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Who's him? That's Jesus. So what we're learning about Jesus is all of the fullness of God, everything about God, was made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile, you know what reconcile is? Satisfying the deal. You went out to eat, and when you got done, they brought you the bill, and you had to reconcile the bill. You had to make payment. When you went to get the oil change this week, they sent you, they're like, hey, look, here's the air filter. You're going to need to get that, and here's new wiper fluid. You're going to need that, and we got some new air that we're giving out that's like 10 bucks if you guys want the new air. You go, you bought the new air. And they're like, your taillights are out. You're like, yeah, I need to get the taillights. And you just kept going, okay, what else is wrong with it? And then they bring you the total. And you have to reconcile because you're in a state of being a debtor and you want to resolve that debt. Reconcile. Hold on a second. So God is reconciling to himself you and me. He's making a payment to himself to repurchase a right relationship on our behalf with us and God. Things whether on earth or things in heaven. Because you might be wondering, is this good news for me? Well, do you live in heaven? Anybody in here a heaven dweller? Nope. Okay, so that part isn't you. Any of you that live here on earth? I love that it says this, things on earth. Because you could be tempted to come up with all kinds of reasons why you wouldn't qualify. I was talking to someone before service, and he was talking to, trying to talk to somebody about coming to church, and the question was, well, I mean, can I get to heaven because I've smoked weed? I'm like, dear God, I mean, if you haven't smoked weed, you might not even be able to serve at our church, okay? Like, how are we, we going to put this stuff together, right? 
And someone's sitting there thinking to themselves, I can't have a right relationship with God because I've smoked weed. You might be going, I can't have a right relationship with God because I'm divorced. Uh, there's no way I could have a right relationship with God because my kids don't follow the Lord. Uh, you, you might be going, I can't have a right relationship with Jesus because I'm, I'm too fat or I'm too hairy. You could be coming up with all kinds of reasons. And this is the reason he gives. Are you on earth? Are you affected by gravity? then you are affected by my love. That's the qualification God sets out for you and me. How did he do it? By making peace, shalom, through his blood shed on the cross. God put all of the fullness in Jesus to reconcile, to pay the debt, to restore peace with us. And how did he do it? by Jesus suffering to make that peace a reality. And if you're here today, and maybe you've never heard about Jesus or you're wondering why a bunch of people show up every single week to celebrate him and worship him, it's because it's easy for us because we realize what he did on our behalf and cannot get over it. And I want you to know that you can have access to that today. In just a few moments, I'm gonna pray and the people around you are gonna stand. Some of them are gonna come up to the steps and get down and pray, and, and you can too. But you know what else you could do? You could walk right over there to the baptistry and you could talk to somebody about what it means to start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to step into that peace. To the rest of you, Christians, come here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what it says, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as if God himself were making his appeal through us. You guys know what ambassadors are, right? They're people that, uh, you know, bribe the president for them to be able to get you stationed in some really cool place and speak on our behalf in a really tropical climate. It's a pretty good gig if you can get one. And what they do is, is when they speak, they speak with the authority of the United States government. They're the ambassador. They represent us to whatever country they're in. This is what Paul is saying that you and I are. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as if when we speak, we are speaking on behalf of God. And do you know what we speak? That we can be reconciled. The world is thinking that they are at war with God, and we get to step into those moments and say, no, no. Peace, shalom, peace for your family, peace for your soul, and peace for your heart. I come to bring this message from God. There can be peace. The war is over. How? Because 2,000 years ago, God made it right before you could ever make it wrong. He died in advance for the sins that you haven't even committed yet. And that's a message that's too good to keep to ourselves. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, you are good, good, good. And I pray that you would do a good work in us right now. God, for people who have never started a relationship with you, to people who've been here so long and been following you so long that they can't even remember what life was like before you. Do a work in us. 
bring peace into our hearts, bring peace into our souls, and bring peace into our lives. In your name I pray, amen.